Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Devil at night. 
Well, good morning. Thank you for taking some time out of your day to tune in to Life Podcasts. I get to be your host for the next 45 minutes or so. My name is Michael Miano. I am the pastor at the Blue Point Bible Church. I am also the director of the Power of Preterism Network, as well as the apologist through MGW Apologetics. I'm excited for today's show. Um, what we've begun here with Life Podcasts is basically entering in on discussion about living in the fulfilled eschaton. And what this requires from us, of course, is properly reading our Bible. So my goal today actually is going to be bringing us in on the prophecy that we find in the book of Isaiah, specifically chapters 8 through 9. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about the audience relevance of that prophecy. And then we'll tie it together to understand what we as Christians living in the fulfilled eschaton should glean from this prophecy. What should we know about ourselves and about our God by reading Isaiah chapters 8 through 9? That's what we're going to do, and we're going to enter in on this morning. But before we do that, what I'd like to do is bring us in on the discipline of common prayer. So prayerfully, you've already begun the work, or the Spirit of God has already begun the work of setting your mind on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And with that, we move into our time of common prayer. Today is February 5th. And our reading at the top of our common prayer is this. On February 1st, 1960, four college students initiated the first sit-in demonstration at Woolworth's lunch counter in Greensboro, North Carolina. The store manager ignored the protests, hoping they would leave. The next day, 27 more students came into protest. By February 5th, 300 students had arrived igniting a mass movement of sit-ins for desegregation through the South. O oh Lord, let my soul rise up to meet you as the day rises to meet the sun. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. May our sitting down and our rising up contribute, Lord, to your kingdom's work. Psalm chapter 27, verses 15 through 18 reads, Show me your way, O Lord. Lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Deliver me not into the hand of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen up against me, and also those who speak malice. What if I had not believed that I should see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living? Oh, tarry and await the Lord's pleasure. Be strong, and he shall comfort your heart. Wait patiently for the Lord. May our sitting down and our rising up contribute, Lord, to your kingdom's work. 18th century Jesuit Jean-Pierre de Cassade wrote, The great and firm foundation of the spiritual life is the offering of ourselves to God and being subject to his will in all things. We must completely forget ourselves, so that we regard ourselves as an object which has been sold and over which we, have no longer, we no longer have any rights. We find all our joy in fulfilling God's pleasure, his happiness, his glory, and the fact that he is our great and only delight. Once we have found this foundation, all we need to do is spend our lives rejoicing that God is God and being so wholly abandoned, abandoned to his will 
that we are quite indifferent as to what we do and equally indifferent as to what we use, as to what use he makes of our activities. Sorry about that. With that, we move into our time of prayer. And the month of February is Black History Month. It's also um, in the Book of Common Prayer. It's a month where we focus in on reconciliation, our reconciliation to God, our reconciliation to our neighbors, um, our reconciliation to our enemies. And as I read that common prayer this morning, thinking about the sit-ins, thinking about the words of that Jesuit, um, I would challenge us that in order to see true reconciliation in all things, the first thing we must do is die to ourselves. And of course, that is represented in the beautiful emblem of our faith, baptism. And, um, you know, may we all endeavor to die to ourselves daily like the Apostle Paul did and uh, fill up to the fullest with the joy of the Lord. I don't believe that we're living in the time of fulfilling, of filling up the sufferings of the Lord as they were in that first century period. But today we're filling up with the joy of the Lord because the Lord is here. Amen. So let's lift that up in prayer. And then we will go into a recitation of the Our Father and I will bring us right into our teaching for today. Mighty God, we do thank you, Lord. We thank you for the the work of the Spirit that baptizes us into you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your work in our lives. We thank you for death to self, that we might see ourselves have life in you, Lord, and that life leaks into everything that we touch, Lord, everything that we do, our relationships, our work, our, our concerns and cares for this world, Lord, are all focused in on our dying to ourselves and seeing your light, your life, more fully, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for all you've done, Lord. Thank you for the provisions you have provided. May we continue to increase and be effective in the areas that you so desire, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Now we go into the recitation of the Our Father. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Before I bring us into our teaching for today, I did want to remind you. I have a blog site, mianogonewild.wordpress.com. This week I had published a blog about justification, and I explained how our justification should be understood as fulfilled by faith through grace and that is set upon an amazing faithful foundation that God has put before us in understanding of course fulfilled Bible prophecy so in that blog that I posted recently I explained some of that and I bring you into some understanding about the book of Romans and I offer up two more recent sermons that I preached at the Blue Point Bible Church in regards to the gifts and the riches of justification and grace that we see in the church and that we ultimately come to understand through a contextual reading of the book of Romans. So go ahead and check that out. I trust that you will be edified. And now I'd like to bring us in on our teaching. So on Thursday nights, I attend a Bible study at a member's home here at the Blue Point Bible Church. And one of the things that we've begun doing is going through the book of Isaiah. And it's been very interesting and very encouraging and edifying because one of the things that we're doing is we're 
not just jumping to what every Christian does, where when we read the Bible, we insert Jesus, and that's what it must mean. But we're doing the work of reading through the text and actually understanding how it applied what we call audience relevance to the original audience. And in doing so, it's revealed some really neat things, and then it also it helps us better understand and define and seek and, and utilize the wisdom that is in the New Testament. Again, this is something that, you know, I know I'm very emphatic about in my teachings that whatever we find in the New Testament, whatever we're talking about in the beautiful New Covenant must have found its mysterious origin in the Old Testament. So today what I'd like to talk to us about is the light of the, the no light in them, the light of the Lord. Right, We see in John 1 where it talks about how Jesus Christ came to bring life and that life was the, or that light was the life of men. That's what we're talking about today. What is the light that is the life of men? Here in Isaiah, I want to start at verse uh, chapter 8, verse 18. Now, to give you a little bit of historical background here, Isaiah is a prophet that's prophesying in the 8th century BC. This is um, after the, well, actually right before the Assyrians have taken the north. And he'll continue to prophesy, I believe, through that time, um, ultimately up into the invasion of the north, and how that was supposed to be a picture for the two southern tribes, Benjamin and Judah, what was known as the House of Judah. And um, he's prophesying, and his prophecies primarily are focused on to the people of Judah, but it's not always speaking about judgment in Judah. For example, here in Isaiah chapter 7 through 8, what we're really reading about, namely, is prophecy against, I believe it's Assyria, because of their invasion of Assyria, which were two regions in the north of Israel. No, I'm sorry. Syria, Assyria being rebuked for invading Syria. That's why we see also in Isaiah chapter 14, we read about that um, prophecy against the king, or I believe Isaiah 14 is the prophecy against the king of Babylon. Sorry about that. Um, Ezekiel chapter 28 is the prophecy against the king of Tyre. That's Assyria. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 8, verse 18. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts, which dwells in Mount Zion. So what we're looking at here is what God is doing and what he is doing through his people are for signs. They're things that should be understood. We should be discerning them. That's why all throughout the New Testament, it talks about those that have eyes to see and ears to hear. Continuing in our text. And when they shall say to you, seek them that have familiar spirits, Go to wizards that peep and that mutter, should not a people seek unto their God for the living to the dead. To the law and the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. And they shall pass through it, hardly be steaded and hungry. And it shall come to pass, That when they shall be hungry, they shall fret themselves and curse their king and God and look upward. And they shall look to the earth and behold trouble and darkness, dimness of anguish. And they shall be driven to darkness. Okay. So what we're seeing here at the end of this chapter, 
speaking about these people that seek after idolatry, that are wicked, which I believe um, is characteristic of all men. I believe this is the sign that has been given of all men. And it shows the wickedness of all men. We know that the law was given to Israel. That's why it's speaking about the law here in verse 20 to increase sin. We see this in the Apostle Paul's letter to the book of Galatians, as well as the, the book of Romans. Um, so what we're understanding here, in context, this is speaking about Assyria and what's going on. And it's being spoken to Judah and giving them an understanding of God's work that these Idol worshippers, these wicked people are coming under God's judgment because of the anguish of darkness and all they're going to see. They're going to curse God. They're going to be so frustrated in life that they're going to curse God. They're going to you know, be done with everything. And they're going to seek after the idols that they have made, the things they have made. And all they're going to find in the earthly existence is trouble and anguish and destruction. So... And this is a sign for the people of God. And the fact that God is going to preserve his people is a sign as well. Those that trust in the Lord, those that have that foundation of the Lord. So moving into, um, now I, what I wanted to clarify is this light. So the light that we're talking about here, the light that is not in them is the light of the Lord. You might say the light, as we're going to see as we move through this, is the application of God's word. It's how we live out the things that we're learning about. Second Peter chapter 1 is a proof text that I constantly use, as well as 1 Timothy 1.5. They give us instruction on the things that we need to be doing, how we need to have the light of the Lord in our lives, in our understanding. Again, the light of the Lord is the wisdom, of, is the knowledge applied. You might say the light is the understanding. It's prophetic, spiritual understanding. Because it's not just understanding. It's understanding that comes by way of the Spirit and then propels us to live it out, to apply it. So these people that seek after idolatry, what they have is wickedness within them. Those that seek after the Lord have light in them. I might encourage you, of course, to go ahead and get your hands on a copy of my book, Wicked. You can go to wickedthingsexplained.wordpress.com and you can get your copy. I could send you an autographed copy and all that fun stuff. So, um, and I explain that wickedness, this darkness that is not only within revealed within Israel, revealed within the people around them and shown to them, as well as revealed in all men, which I believe has become very uh, evident, if you will. Moving into chapter 9, this is where we read about a prophecy that is constantly applied to Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was her vexation. When at first the light afflicted, he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, these are nations in Israel, afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan and the Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death Upon them has light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. The joy before you, according to the joy in the harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil, for you have broken the yoke of this people, this burden, and the staff on their shoulder, and the rod of his oppressor, as in the days of Midian. For every battle and warrior is with confused noise, and garments rolled in blood, but this shall be with 
burning and the fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace shall there be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, in order to establish it with judgment and with justice from here, for hereafter, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So what is going on here? This is talking about a child being born to bring about a righteous government. One thing I love about the book of Isaiah is it beautifully highlights how the old covenant prophecies were namely against wicked kingdoms. What you see happening throughout the prophecies is kingdoms in tumult. Constant frustration, destruction, despair on a corporate level within these kingdoms. And of course, it affects the people individually. The Hebrew people were very clear on that, that what happened to the corporate people affected the individual, and vice versa, how the individual's act affected the corporate, which is very true. So there's covenant wisdom in that. That's why I mentioned that. You know, there's covenant wisdom in us understanding that in the old covenant, the reason why they you know, would throw bodies over the wall or not bury certain people within the, um, you know, the tombs of their people would not allow their, those people's darkness to be evident within them because they wanted to be a people that had the light of the Lord. And that was their old covenant understanding. In the new covenant, we know that it's Jesus Christ that brings light and life. And by dying to ourselves and, and raising in Christ and finding life in Christ, we had that light of the Lord. And we encourage it. We don't remove people from us. We seek to be a... Um, a life-giving spirit, if you will, as 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says. Um, whereas the old covenant was a living soul, it was, a, it was made living by God, it was used as an example. The new covenant is a life-giving spirit where we have influence on those around us, where living waters, the spirit flows from us, as we see in John 7, as well as in Revelation chapter 22. Here at the Blue Point Bible Church, we're actually focused on a theme for this year, um, one of those themes being, well, it's a, many themes, but one of those themes being um, saturation. And that's that light of the Lord, that we're bringing the light of the Lord. We're bringing spiritual influence, the water of life to as many lives as we can. We're having effect on those around us. And that's what light and water do. If the water is flowing and it's, you know, free flowing and it's free like the spirit is, and as we read about in John chapter three, then it's going to have effect on the things that it comes into um, contact with. And uh, that's what we, the church, are supposed to be doing, making known the manifold wisdom of God, as we see there in Ephesians 3.10, the eternal purpose of God. So, obviously, what this text is speaking about is that it's giving them a hope, that a hope that a child will be born to remove the burdens, the burden of Midian, the, you know, this dang darkness, this anguish, this dimness that has been revealed within Israel. Again, using the example of the destruction of the, nation around, of the nations around them because of their darkness, Israel is now being told this prophecy and given hope that one day a child will be born that will bring a righteous government which will remove the dimness of the land. Because as we see there right in the beginning of Isaiah chapter 9, the dimness shall not be as was her vexation. The people that walked in darkness, this is a prophecy regarding God's people, have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land in the shadow of death, upon them has light shined. And that would become the hope of Israel. 
The hope of the people of God is that the light of God would be evident within them and that we would live it out. And I'm going to show that to you in the New Testament now. If you'd like to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. There's other places in the New Testament this is mentioned. However, this is a text that regularly comes to my mind when we begin to talk about the light of the Lord. So again, these people are to have this hope. I get frustrated when I hear Christians talk about the hope that they have in Christ that is not found in the Old Covenant. My case would be that the hope of Israel was that the light of the Lord would be lived through them. And what that would become would be that government that you read about right there in Isaiah chapter 9. But now as we see here in Isaiah chapter 9, God is going to provide a provision. A child is going to be born. It is going to bring that provision and restore righteous government. Upon his shoulders will be the government. The increase of that kingdom will be no end. Perfectly, you know that this applies to Jesus Christ. That's a study that's beyond our time today. However, that prophecy does pull all the way to the New Testament. When you spiritually understand the truth as was made known through the apostles in the first century, well, Jesus Christ and the apostles in the first century, was inspired by God to be written down by those men and by men that they had taught and was passed on through the problematic history of the church, was learned, discerned, debated throughout the history of the church. And today we have arrived at a true apologetic regarding the fulfillment of God's word through Jesus Christ. And it requires discernment. It requires listening. It requires faith. It requires study. You know, study to show yourself approved. The righteous man would need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, proving all things, holding fast to that which is good, abstaining from that which has the appearance of evil. Here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, speaking to that church at Thessalonica, as they were going through these days of darkness, seeing God remove the darkness from their midst, listen to what the Apostle Paul says. But of times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them and travail as a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief. Darkness being confusion here. You are the children of light and the children of the day. We are not children of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch soberly. For they that sleep in the night, they that be drunken are drunken in the night, but let us who are of the day be sober and putting on the breastplate of faith and love and a helmet for the hope of salvation. For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that we, whether we awake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort yourselves together, edify one another as you have been doing. So the Apostle Paul here is talking to the church of Thessalonica and telling them that now that they are Christians that are, have died to themselves, have Jesus Christ, or the body of Christ, they have the light of the Lord within them. They are children of the light, children of the day. Not to be like those that were confused and would have different messages regarding the coming calamity. That calamity came and went. That day of the Lord has long since been passed. If you're not familiar with the teachings of preterism, I encourage you to do so. Full preterism asserts, as I am an adherent of that understanding, um, that 
Bible prophecy was fulfilled in A.D. 66 to 70 in its entirety. That was the antitype, the fulfillment of everything that Bible prophecy was pointing to. And what it shows us is that Jesus Christ is that child that brought forth a righteous kingdom, a righteous government that has no end. So now, what we see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is a snapshot of what God was doing in the first century to redeem the people, to instill the light of the Lord, to bring judgment upon those, to bring that light that has dawned upon the children of God, which required the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Every jot and tittle, which Jesus makes mention of in John chapter, Matthew chapter 5, verses 16 through 18 specifically. So, what we see here is the light of the Lord is this application. And Jesus Christ is that which had brought that light of the Lord and fulfilled that light of the Lord so that we may know it. What I'd like to read to you now is more of a devotional aspect of this, an applicational understanding of this from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Yesterday was Dietrich Bonhoeffer's uh, birthday, and he, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a martyr in the in Germany during the Third Reich that was willing to stand up against the uh, evils of oppression, destruction, persecution, and uh, cruelty that was done through Adolf Hitler in the Third Reich. And he was willing to stand up and defend the Jews and be a true Christian, in my eyes at least. And um, I believe he's an authentic example of what a Christian life would look like, uh, mind, body, and soul. And um, yeah, so... Dietrich Bonhoeffer's birthday anniversary was yesterday, and I usually like to have, mark that out. I have an application on my phone I've mentioned quite a few times on my podcast. It's called Time Hop. That, and no, I don't work for them. I don't get paid by them. I'm just, I guess it's free advertisement. <laughs> and uh, I just love the app because it allows me to go back and see things I post throughout the different years. And going back about six, seven years ago, I had posted a quote from Pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer on this day. And I want to share that with you because I believe it applies to our understanding of the light of the Lord. True devotion and righteousness consists not merely in outward behavior, but in the disposition of the heart, and conversely, not only in the disposition of the heart, but also in concrete action. So our application, the light of the Lord, that which the people in Isaiah's time sought out within their kingdom, they wanted a people that had this true devotion. A true devotion that moved toward concrete action and a certain disposition of the heart toward God. Not a people that would turn to God and shake their fist at him and have so much pride that they look to the things of the earth and all they find is destruction. I know this sounds familiar to someone. This is our society today. This is a picture. That's why it says there in Isaiah chapter 8 that this is a sign. It's a sign being given to the people of God. It was filled in Isaiah's time. We see that they never found that hope pushing all the way to the first century A.D. when Jesus Christ came and brought that light and that was the life of men. And we see how that's applied through the church in 1 Thessalonians 5. That light that we seek, the light that the world doesn't have in them, the light that's revealed through the Bible, the scriptures um, about people that do not have light in them is understanding and application of God's word. Spiritually discerned understanding and application of God's word. The opposite, obviously, being confusion. We believe that spiritual discernment and application of God's word is what brings life to all men, not light, mere life, not what the uh, Greeks would have understand, understood as bios, life, but zoe, 
you know, true existence, true, um, you know, empowerment of life. And that's what we have through Jesus Christ. Praise God. So what I'd like to do is just go into a quick song. I'm going to tell you the phone number here. If you'd like to call in, ask a question, submit a question, email me a question, um, I'd like you to do so now, and I'd be right back and perfectly provide some answers. Okay, I realized I did not give you the phone number to call in, so if you're tuning in, the number is 516-387-1717. Again, that is 516-387-1717. I did have somebody submit a question this morning. Um, woke up to a Facebook message. I always appreciate that. 
and um, I'm definitely working on a better schedule this year to uh, respond a bit more timely to some of the messages that I received. Uh, so this morning, one of the questions, there's a couple posed. I'm only going to deal with one at the moment. And this is what was asked of me. In John chapter 6, verse 40, we read, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Now let's go ahead and turn to John chapter 6. Okay, so let's get a little bit of context and what we're going, what's going on here. John chapter six. Just looking back a little bit on who our audience is. Let's go back to verse twenty-two of John chapter six. The day following, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there save the one that Jesus Christ and his disciples had entered and that Jesus Christ did not go with his disciples in the boat, but that his disciples had gone away alone. How can it be that the other boats from Tiberias were near the place when they did eat and that the Lord had given thanks? When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. So these are people on the other day, other side of the sea um, in Israel at this point. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, why have you come here? Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you ate loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perished, but for the meat which endures unto eternal life which the Son of Man shall give to you, for him has God the Father sealed. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? And Jesus said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. They said to him, What sign do you show us then that we may see and believe you? How do you work? Now remember, it's interesting that we're reading this after we talked about the sign of the light of the Lord earlier. These are the people that had these prophecies. Jesus came to his own. We see this in John 1. We see in Matthew chapter 15, Matthew 10, Matthew 15. He says that he only came to the lost tribes of the house of Israel. Came to Israel, the people that knew these prophecies. They knew the work of the Lord. They knew the signs that had been given. That's why he's telling them with such strong words that, you know, you know the signs. Stop following me because you're hungry. The things are being done in your midst. You just do not have the eyes to see nor the ears to hear. The light of the Lord is not evident within these people. They said to him, what sign do you show? Um, our fathers did eat man in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven. Jesus says, and truly, truly, I say to you, Moses gave you not bread from heaven, but my father gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is, which he comes, is that which has come down from heaven and gives light to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, please give us this bread. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger, and he that believes on me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you have also seen me and believe not. All the Father has given me shall come to me, 
and him that comes to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who had sent me. And this is the Father's will, which he has sent. All that believe in me, I should lose none, but should raise up again at the last day. And this is the will of me, that everyone which sees the Son and believes on him may have life and everlasting, and I will raise him up at the last day. And this seems to be the theme throughout the book of John. John is speaking primarily to the people of Israel, to his own, that Jesus Christ had come to in his earthly ministry, and telling them how you know, they had been called to be a people of the Lord, that, they, um, that God was bringing judgment, that the last day was the evident, and that they needed to be abide in Christ. We, this carries all the way up to John chapter 17, Jesus' prayer. You know, this promises in John 14 where Jesus says he's going to bring his people to be where he is. John 17 says something interesting. It says, sanctify them by your truth, Lord, but not only these that you have given me, but those that will believe in their word, will believe in, you know, my word through their word. Because what was being done in the first century was a, a foundation. A foundation was being set for the things of God. The light of the Lord was being made evident within the people of God so that the work that was supposed to begin through the people of God could begin. It had never begun. The prophecies did not find their fulfillment in the Old Covenant. It would be through Jesus Christ that the prophecies would find their fulfillment, and the people of God would begin to do the work that they were supposed to do in the first place. The law and the prophets were given to the people of Israel to do a certain thing, to magnify sin, to reveal death, to show how God would truly make known the children of God through Jesus Christ. And that was done through the judgment in the first century. That was done at the last day. The fulfillment of all jots and tills where salvation had been given to God's people. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 28 tells us about that. How Christ would come a second time to bring salvation to those who waited for him. And he did exactly that. And that's why John 17 speaks about those that would believe in their word. Because of the foundation that had now been set. In Ephesians chapter 2 it speaks about how God had done all these things so that in the coming ages, the glories, the riches, the mercy, the, the truth of God might be made known. You see this also in Romans chapter 15, verses 8 through 9. The light of the Lord being evident within the people of God, therefore having its effect on the world. Right? You remember Jesus talking about a city on the hill, um, the light, the people that are supposed to have this light. And he who has a light does not put it under a bushel. But the light of the Lord goes and flows and like water affects everything that it touches. That's what Jesus is speaking about in John chapter 6. He's speaking about the, the judgment that was going to come upon the people of God to fulfill all righteousness, to fulfill the prophecies, to make the light of the Lord evident within the people of God. So what that should cause us to do is rejoice in the, the fullness of the first century. It should re rejoice in the fullness of what God has provided should not cause us to say, well, what is there for us today? No, that's not the case. What is for us today is the light of the Lord that is being made known and being very evident within the people of God. Perfectly, I've explained that well, and you're encouraged today, and that you have that light of the Lord evident within you, and that you're living it out to the fullness, like that encouragement from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, where he said that it's not just the disposition of the heart, but also concrete action. Let me pray for us, Saint, and look forward to having you tune in on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays at 7 a.m. Mighty God, thank you. Thank you for the truth, Lord. Thank you for provision and all things pertaining to life and godliness that you have provided through our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you and magnify you. We, we lift up all praises to you, Lord. 
Remind us of the truth. Remind us of the fulfillment, Lord, that we might look back to what you have done and rejoice in the riches and the provision that you have given us. Thank you, Lord, for the light that has become the life of men. May we continue to rejoice in that. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. I look forward to talking with you more Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Go in peace, saints. As the dead pants were flowing streams, so my soul for you, God. My soul thirsts for God, a living God. Catch me at the brook. I used to Jack Daniels, chase Bloody Mary. I never touched the virgins, nah, they too scary. And then to me, you died since the day of my birth. Now I'm a walking right billboard, obeying my thirst. My lips used to sip from thick mixed elixir. Now I big gulp from big bits of scripture. Living water all in my picture, get the picture. Blowing out my heart is the best kind of addiction. If I go days without seeking his face, it starts showing. A week outside his presence in the world starts knowing. Sometimes my earnest prayer is to erase my brain. Cause 20 years as a pagan, got my mind trained. Broke up with the world like I need my face, I gotta breathe. But then she looked me in my face like you ain't gotta leave. The landlord clued me in till you're cheating. I need more for a reason, so I got to get leaving. Your face I need to constantly see. I need more. Never feel I'm reaching my peak. I need more. My soul thirsts for you, oh Lord. I need more. I need more, I'm thirsting after God Find peace in your mercy and grace I need more, find shelter in no other place I need more, my soul thirsts for you, oh Lord I need more, I need more Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.